Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you'll find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm a man who's already bought six stadium cutouts. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, I wish I had stadium cutout money like that. Um, guys, I'm just going to throw it out right here at the top of the show. If you have not seen it, Texas Sports obviously offering until uh, the end of this month, the 31st, I think is your deadline, to put in um, your request for a cutout of yourself. If you want to go ahead and put either a sign, those are those are perfectly fine, saying Longhorn Republic, or a uh, holding our logo as, as the famed Joe Ruiz is done. We will have a very special treat to be named at a later date for you. If you both do that and tweet us the picture, evidence, all that, uh, and make it through whatever screening they have. Um, I don't think they would deny that, but if they do, you tell us. But uh, if that happens, a very special treat, including potentially a name segment. Who knows? Who knows what we have up our sleeves? Could be coming your way. Now, I will say that I'm pretty sure you can't have any sort of logo or advertisement in the cutouts. But if you could slip it, if you figure out how to slip it past the uh, the screeners, Kyle. If your sign just says Longhorn Republic, what's the difference between that and Horn Nation or Go Horns Go? You know, it's just a saying that happens to be the Internet's foremost, Texas Longhorn football and other sports, punting, kicking, and men's tennis and women's golf podcast. I'll allow it. So this is where we would been doing our season previews. And we actually timed it, I think a a week early based upon the schedule that was going to happen. We're going to build a little buffer in because last year we had somebody like we had a technical issue, somebody's computer brick. So we built in a little extra margin to make sure we didn't get pushed up. And then the schedule went just absolutely insane. So now we've got a couple extra weeks to fill, but we're going to do our Texas preview to keep the team previews going. So uh, 
we're going to go position by position group, and we're not going to like beat a dead horse at like quarterback, right? Like, oh, what's going to happen to the quarterback position? Sam Ellinger is going to be good. That's what's going to happen. Uh, but we are going to talk about uh, position by position, and then we're going to do uh, looking at the schedule itself and kind of the biggest games and record predictions and all that fun stuff. But, I mean, we have to start at the quarterback position, and we know that the quarterback room is stacked, right? You've got Sam Ellinger, you've got, Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, Jaquin and Jackson, one, two, three, four, probably one of the best quarterback rooms in Texas football history. Maybe one of the, the most top to bottom thick quarterback rooms in the country. We know Ellinger's going to be good. So the real question is, who's going to be QB2? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it could be a different answer in the beginning of the season versus the end of the season. I think, you know, Casey Thompson, being a guy who, who will bring back some experience, um, may not ever leave a depth chart as the second quarterback because, uh, you know, he's a man who's already dabbled or dipped his toes in the portal world. So you don't really want to scare him off and, and throw, even if Hudson Card is the guy, uh, throw him on the depth chart. But I would be curious if by week seven or eight of games played, if if we're up, um, if they're not trying to get, you know, Card or, or even Jaquin and Jackson um, some looks. I mean, I think right now, it is Casey Thompson's to lose, um, but they're looking. What happens post-Sam, and I guess pre-Quinn is how we're, we're phrasing these. Well, what happens? What's the, what's the next era of Texas football post-Sam? Um, we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about the other positions, but it's 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 absolutely crazy. Thompson was was thinking about leaving when there was, you know, um, you know Cam Rising and Shane Bouchelle um, crowding him out in this, this, you know, upstart named Roshan Johnson. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's wild how much things can change. Um, and, and I think this room will look different, you know, this season, end of season, off season next year. There's just a lot of big names in the pipeline. There's a lot of egos and talent on the roster, but to me it's Casey Thompson, but with Hudson card right as his heels with a ton of upside, maybe getting a look. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think de- I think depth chart and like Sam needs to come out for a couple plays who goes in may be different, right? I think Casey Thompson probably rides the season as QB2 on the depth chart. Uh, but let's say it's a situation where, again, and Lord forbid this happened, but like Sam Ellinger gets hurt and you need somebody to close out the game. I think they may trot out Hudson Card. That's, again, um, but some of that is managing – the quarterback room, right? Managing who's because you want you you honestly you kind of need Casey Thompson back next year, mm-hmm. uh, at least for competition's sake. And I imagine that he would have a senior season similar to Shane Bouchelle, where he can uh, kind of go and take his talents elsewhere, and that's totally fine. End up at SMU, like all good Texas quarterbacks, <laughs> and be one of the best quarterbacks in the state, and that's totally fine. But we're we're hoping and we're going to operate under the assumption that it doesn't really matter who's listed at two on the depth chart because uh, senior Sam's only going to come out because we've hung 45 points on OU in Dallas, and so they've got the they've got the backups in uh, in mopping up some garbage time. And I think this is the point in the podcast where we just talk about Sam Mellinger looks amazing. I, I mean, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. He looks, his body just looks like he's, um, you know, he, he's, less bulky more lean looks shredded looks muscular looks like he's been taking advantage of every zoom workout available to him um i don't know if he's really crushing the zoom pilates or what but he looks amazing he's like two inches taller than he came in and 10 pounds heavier when he's five pounds lighter than last year so like he's really transformed his body quite a bit 
for his senior year, and I'm here for it. So a room that feels somewhat transformed as well as that running back room where a year ago we had um, – Bubblegum and prayer holding together that running back room for most of this season. Uh, Texas has not one, not two, but three guys who I think would be a starter in any other, most other teams, don't say any other team, but a lot of other teams in the country in Keontae Ingram, your returning number one guy from last year, Roshan Johnson, who's now in his first full year playing full-time running back. And then Bijan Robinson, a guy who maybe a year ago or two, if he's two years older, he probably comes in and is a day one starter at Texas. They're only three deep though. They're with Danny Young sitting out the season. They've only got three scholarship running backs. So an injury here, an injury there could make things a little weird, but if they can stay healthy, big if, if they could stay healthy, those guys could be a massive asset for Texas. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an incredible room. I mean, I'm trying to think um, back to the days of, you know, Cedric Benson lower on your depth chart, you know, in his younger days behind some legends or, or Priest Holmes somehow, you know, uh, becoming his best self at the NFL level. Um, just the amount of down ballot, as I'll use a, a term incorrectly here, talent on this running back roster, if Bijan truly is three. Um, I mean, even even if, if Roshan becomes RB1 by the end of the year or starts, you know, wherever, I mean, the fact that anyone but Keontae Ingram, as good as he was when he's healthy, like, think back, remember, healthy Keontae Ingram is, you know, one of the top, let's say 15, 10 running backs in the country has that type of potential. He's that good um, when he's healthy and when he's cutting first cut and when he's wiggling right. And when he, he, he you know, he feels confident putting that knee down and shaking someone and getting a quick six extra yards because his cuts are electric, right? Like he has been banged up. He hasn't been uh, his full self. So I, I, that's where like, I feel like this is this is a really solid running back room. The, the lack of depth after the three certainly alarms me uh, a bit. I mean, I think there's a chance Whittington's a guy who could slide in there if we really got to scary situations, but I don't want that. We had to do that last year. Where we just pulled guys from whatever position or like David out of the... David Benda. Yeah. Um, with Mason Rodriguez. I mean, a, a, a name that will forever live in like UT depth chart infamy, you know, a, a walk-on... Uh, safety who got to play uh, or be listed on the depth chart um, running back. You know, it's crazy. Um, so I, I'll just say that, like, I think any of the three guys could go off and it could be various games. I think Bijan is a really good pass catcher. I think, um, I, I think he might be the best out of the bunch just day one. His hands are, are elite. Um, people have described them in camp as just looking like another receiver out of the backfield. Um, but I'm curious what a high school kid is always a step up in the pass pro, right? And we, we talk about this podcast, but not a lot of people just generally talk about that. And that's probably, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it, maybe it's controversial. That might be a bigger, when, a, when a, a coach is evaluating running backs, that may be a bigger factor than catching the ball. It may be your ability to to in the running back room, be that safety blocker for a quarterback who you want to keep clean and keep healthy for the entirety of the year and kind of your, 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 you know, playoff type hopes really hinge on it. So I, if that's, if that's Roshan's energy, just his willingness to work as he learns the position as it was last year, or Keontae kind of being the most natural um, running back with, with, you know, NCAA experience. Um, I, I think that pass blocking will, will play a, a big role in who sees a lot of time at that position. Especially with with Yersich, you know, everybody talks about him spreading the ball around, but he's like 
he's like a 55-45 like pass run guy. So it's not like it's uh, Mike Leach just throw the ball around the yard type of offense. So, uh, but yeah, no no freshman coming in has ever been a three down running back. There's no there, if you have that expectation for a freshman coming in, you're crazy. I say no. I hate talking in absolutes because we're gonna get a tweet that's like, well, this guy, whatever, that's fine. Like <laughs> Maurice Claret was a freak, right? In many senses of the word, uh, that guy could have gone pro. Straight out of high school. Like, I, I could have seen it. Uh, but, yeah, so there have been reports that Rochelle is actually the best of the three backs. And granted, again, Keontae seems to still be battling some sort of hamstring injury or whatever it may be. But the fact that this room is so competitive, tech, I, I'm going to say it. I think Texas is going to have another year where we don't have a thousand yard rusher. But just because we have three guys that have like 700 yards apiece, or it's just like, Keontae is going to have like 750 averaging five and a half yards of carry. Roshan's going to have like 650 averaging six yards of carry. Bijan is going to have like 500 averaging 13. six and a half yards of carry, right? <laughs> he's going to average a touchdown a touch is what he's going to average, right? Uh, seven touches, seven touchdowns. So, so like this, this is a year where I think this, this running back room can just be absolutely stupid good because I don't – and here's, here's really where I think it's going to come from is I think Sam's run volume, his call run volume is going to go way, way down in this offense. And so being able to hand the ball off to one of your three blue blood running backs is a big, big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And you think back to the bowl game, right? The last game we had to watch, I think Ingram had some like 134 yards. Really, really, really good game. One of his best games of the season came in a big stage. Um, but Roshan Johnson averaged eight yards a carry in that game, right? That was kind of what you looked at and you went, ooh, this could be. And then you look at the perfect kind of coordinator to use that type of running back by committee. I mean, they, we we had Philip Slavin come in and talk about Yersich a little bit, and he, he, he lived through and knows very intimately his time at Oklahoma State. And he always jokes about how he basically built, you know, MacGyvered out of duct tape. You know, a pair of cleats and in in a you know a mannequin from uh, the local department store, a a you know a thousand yard rusher out of nothing out of that offense. He knows how to give running backs opportunities to shine. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with a three headed monster. Absolutely. So speaking of a three to seven headed monster, uh, the ru- the wide receiver room is something that we we have a lot of questions about. There hasn't been a ton of talk about separation between these guys other than Troy O'Meary, Troy O'Meary, who is sidelined with for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. He was whispered to be kind of the starter uh, pre-injury, but like there hasn't been a ton of separation. You know, Brendan Eagles, who was a starter last year, uh, Jake Smith, who was a starter last year, Jordan Whittington, who didn't play much, but was potentially a starting running back last year. I think Josh Moore was a guy who would have played a ton last year. If, uh, if he hadn't been injured, Marcus Washington, the guy who played a ton last year, Tariq black, who has had injury issues, but was a starter for a little bit at, at uh, Michigan. So like there is a lot, there's, there's a lot to sort through and it feels like it's a good problem to have, but it scares me that in a room this talented, nobody has really separated other than the guy who's now injured. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of names that I feel like we could just say on this podcast, and then we can pick whatever week that person goes off and we can use it as an I told you so moment. I think you're going to have um, multiple games where it's like, aha, that guy, he was the Gatorade National you know, Player of the Year. Aha, Jordan Whittington, you know, uh, truly 
did something we've never seen in a high school football game in that state championship. There it is. That's the guy. Um, you know, ah, Tariq Black, what a shrewd Texas hits again on the train. It could be anyone, right? Like, it, it really could. The thing that, when I was doing some research for this, that kind of shocked me, our old head, he's a third-year player, but our true old head, the guy who is handed the torch as the leader in this position room, Brennan Eagles has eight career starts. Now, starting at a receiver position, it's it's interesting because he's definitely played a lot of snaps and had a lot of catches. But eight career starts when you replace two seniors in Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson, who just you know were, were such an institution uh, for a few years in, in that room, and, and his juniors felt like seniors, his seniors you know just felt like old men in the modern football era. So it's it's replacing a lot of that. But again, I, I've heard Jake Smith is a guy who does not look like a freshman. He's taken some leaps forward. Um, you know, he, he's electric. Uh, you, you know, I, I think there's been times when they said Marcus Washington looked great. He had kind of his week. Obviously, we talked about T.O. And, and what he was doing. Um, you know, could Malcolm Epps get some reps again out there, even though he's listed at a tight end? Is, is you know, is Tariq Black actually going to bring, is he going to be the old head just because he's played somewhere, even if not uh, at Texas? Is the Texas culture um, in place now enough with senior Sam and all these people that he instantly comes in and can be a locker room leader because he picks up the Texas of it all, even in this crazy COVID-shortened onboarding time. You know, it, it's really interesting, but I, I go back to a guy who I like on paper a lot. He's just fast. He's he's um, he's a guy who could just be a really nice weapon that maybe teams aren't keying on it every week or at least for the first few weeks. But I'm sticking with my guns, and I really like Josh Moore is potentially locking down one of these spots or at least being a danger anytime he's on the field. Like, imagine John Burt, but he can catch. We were praying for that for years, Kyle. <laughs> we prayed and prayed and prayed. We put on sackcloth and ash. We fasted for John Burt to catch a ball. <laughs> Even when John Burt caught the ball, it was an incompletion. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, the, the, I think however this group shakes out, there's going to be a massive rotation. And that's just how this offense works. And you're going to have four or five guys on the field. You'll have a tight end or two in the mix. You'll have a tight end in the backfield and four wide receivers. And there's a lot that's going to happen in this offense. So I really think sorting out the, the, the wheat from the chaff, which you can't really say that with any of these guys because they're all really good, is a, is, a, is a fool's errand, I will say, at this point. With three weeks out, you could see a guy have a massive jump. And again, Herman said, Tom Herman said it in his uh, press conference after the scrimmage this last Saturday was that like three weeks out from the season, we don't really care about the depth chart. We're just looking at guys right. making plays and the wide receiver group based on their COVID precautions. They haven't really been at full strength because a guy shows up with a little bit of an elevated temperature. They're holding him out. A guy shows up with a stomach ache. They're holding him out. A guy shows up with X, Y, or Z symptoms and reports it. They're going to hold him out, which is, Again, I love that because Herman has said it and Sam Ellinger echoed it. The team that takes this thing the most seriously is going to win a lot of games. It is going to be a team that puts itself in a position to win a national championship. So sticking with the theme, the tight end group is sneaky good. I'm going to go and say it. the tight end group is sneaky, sneaky good. Cade Brewer projects out as probably the top like traditional tight end, but then you've got like Jared Wiley. We already mentioned Malcolm Epps, Braden Lybrock. Like you've got a group that could be a really good group and, and let you run air quotes, 12 personnel, even though they're not really all like your traditional inline tight ends. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is a, this is an interesting group of 2020 football, you know, assembling a tight end class, right? I, I, I think Cade Brewer is the guy at the top. You know what he can do. I don't know if anyone's been like 
in love with him, but he hasn't done anything wrong. I just think maybe there was more expected from him. I personally am a guy who was super high on Jared Wiley. Um, I just think his transition from uh, maybe I like former quarterbacks, right? And Texas is trying to field a team at this point of of, of all exclusively former quarterbacks. Who knows? Um, but you know, he he just he seemed to do all the things right. No one expected him to be a great blocker his kind of first year switching from that quarterback position. And yet he was very, very good at times, maybe our best blocker outside of, you know, the, the lineman group. Um, he, he obviously is a big frame um, that's learning to catch the ball with his hands well and, and you know, do those things well and looks, looked good out there. Like, I'm excited to, to see him. I think Braden Lybrock is a perfect example of, of a, you know, late aughts, early teens now 20s tight end like this is new football your, your tight end may not be a great blocker and i don't think anyone has said he's small um i, I don't even know if he's 220 something now um you know at tight end he's, he's not just going to be a crusher in the run blocking game but is a really interesting skill set in in that kind of slot as a tight end with a big body and a target who can get his hands on ball and loves to just grab anything near him so i you know i i i, I still think epps has touchdowns in him. I think Epps, another guy who's learning a, a position that's different to him, right? A basketball kid who just is big, giant hands, long arms, can jump, is learning to play a receiver. It's a little easier maybe to do it from the kind of inside tight end position. But guys had touchdowns in the past. He's got touchdowns in him still. So just, again, like receiver, a lot of interesting tools. Uh, any one of them could could jump off and and be the guy and it could be multiple guys in multiple weeks yet again i hate to kind of hedge but but i do think that there's a chance that you see much more down depth chart contributions from this group than you have in years past absolutely and and again i think when you're looking for the pass catcher it's not Cade brewer i mean not saying he's a bad pass catcher but when you're looking for the athletic split out flex tight end you're gonna have Epps or wiley in there or even Lybrock, depending on it you're right Lybrock is listed at a 220 but i think Cade brewer can be an every down tight end for you which is good Mm -hmm. and he's i think when you look at mike yurcich's kind of two backs or even the diamond set i think you'll see brewer as the guy uh in the backfield kind of playing some of that that H back fullback kind of situation where he's blocking or he's sneaking out in the, in the flats and things like that. So I'm interested to see that moving on down for our last position on the offense, the offensive line, which again, maybe I'm biased, but the most important or the most, uh, the linchpin I'll say of what Texas can do, I think in 2020 is in the trenches because they've got three really good offensive linemen. We've got Sam Cosme, who's going to be, a draft selection. You've got Junior Angulao, who's going into a second full season starting, I believe, uh, and Derek Kerstetter, who I feel like has been around since 1942, but is it <laughs> going into his air quotes potentially final, but maybe not final season at Texas. Tyler Johnson, Denzel Okafor, probably two guys that'll fill in. Tobamade is another guy who could potentially fill in. But again, when you look at the the offensive line, it's really not about the first five guys, but the first eight guys on your depth chart because you want to rotate. And, and uh, Herb Hand is a guy who likes to mix and match and kind of alchemy together a an offensive line group. So that's one for me that I really, uh, I've got to have my eye on to feel good and be able to sleep at night. Yeah, I mean, I, right, it, Herb Hand likes guys. He likes to rotate in. He likes to cross train. He likes people all over the place. Um, I'm excited. Uh, anxious. I don't know how to say this correctly. I'm curious to see what this depth chart sets in and looks like. I don't 
think like Tom Herman talked about, we have a set depth chart. Um, you know, that's what we need. I don't think it's going to be locked in. I, I think there's a pretty good idea. I think obviously, like you said, the, the, the big hitters, um, really, really that left side of that line probably, um, are locked in. I think Okafor is a guy who had some upside, but also, you know, wiggle, whatever. I, I don't know who rises up and who's the sixth, who's the set, or, you know, maybe Topamon's the sixth, who's the seventh, who's the eighth, who gets in. Lord forbid, again, any injuries. When we talk about depth multiple times uh, on this podcast for this season being a huge factor, um, who steps up and who's, you know, the ready next man up, the the, the, the man after that. Uh, but I don't think the twos have looked particularly good in the in the preseason, you know, to, to give anyone crazy um, confidence that we were ten deep, so um, everything goes well. This could be a really good unit. Anything goes wrong, we've seen offensive line woes at Texas. We have a trigger in in this group the past few years when we've had you know almost no starts returning in various years. So um, I mean, I I'm good with this unit. I, I just hope that uh, you know they can be good to themselves. Let's no one get hurt, please. You big, beautiful hog mollies in the, in the trenches. Just don't do anything. Don't go out COVID partying. Don't get hurt. Just play all the games, please. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, a a guy who's getting a lot of talk and a guy who I liked a lot when he signed with Texas is Isaiah Hookfin. He's Mm. a guy that I think is going to be a rotational guy. And I I think um, he's a guy that I think can play both spots whether it's guard tackle, you're not going to put him at center. Uh, but he's definitely a guy that I think he's listed as a tackle on the on the depth chart, or I guess air quotes the depth chart right on the on the roster. But he's a guy who's like six five two seventy, got long arms. Um, you know, a top two fifty guy in the country when he came in, top thirty player in the state. So like he, I think he's a guy that could potentially play guard or tackle if you need him to. And I think he's just a talented guy. Uh, he's kind of a guy who's got a little bit of a nasty streak if you go wa- back and watch his films. I think he's a guy uh, that has a lot of potential. And then I think you'll see a guy, again, we mentioned Christian Jones and Topa Mate. I think those are two guys that will likely. So when you're looking at your eight, I think your eight are probably Cosme, Angulao, uh, Kerstetter, Tyler Johnson, uh, Okafor, Imade, Jones, and Hookfin, I think would be your eight. If Willie Tyler hadn't opted out, he'd be your nine. Um at center, again, you don't really rotate your center, but there's there's been some talk that, like, Jake Majors is just good enough to push Rafiti Grimai for number two, which wow. I like Rafiti Grimai, and I, and I, but again, if the, if the young guy coming in uh, is, at center is, is that good, then especially with what Texas doesn't have coming in at center in the, in the 2020 class, I think it's, it's, uh, it's never a bad thing to have a young guy who's able to push your experienced guy. So, Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. So what we've what we've got for you now, we're gonna we're gonna do the defense next week. So we're gonna do this as a two-parter. So this is where the two be continued comes up. But we want to talk briefly. We're gonna do a couple of like tags each week. And so our tag for this week are what we would consider uh, kind of your three biggest games and what the record is 
at the end of the season. Next week, we'll talk about what do we think Texas's potential. Uh, you can call them trap games. You can call them why did we lose that game and cost ourselves a shot at a national championship game. We'll talk about those those pitfall games, uh, and then we'll talk about our um, our bold statistical predictions next week. But Kyle, three biggest games on the schedule. What do you got? So I, I wonder how much redundancy we're going to have here for for all three. Um, I'll just retweet you when you agree. Okay, because, I mean, obviously, the first biggest game every year, but this year uh, in particular, it's OU. The fourth game of the season, um, coming off of three Texas teams that should not have anywhere near the talent level or, you know, uh, ceiling that this Texas team has in UTEP Tech and TCU. It'll be the first big-time test. Um, I know he's going to going to be very good. Absolutely, and, and I'm 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 in agreement on that. That was my obviously that's the the first game that's off everybody's tongue. It's like yeah, OU. It's OU, right? Yeah. That that game. Charlie Strong got an extra year because he beat OU, right? Yeah. I think they would have pulled him after year two if they hadn't beat OU. But that's again a whole other conversation. Yeah, I mean, so right, so so uh, big game one is OU. I mean, I, I would even go as far as to say. Big game two is OU the second time, um, but but I I won't take that fruit because I, we're not going to count the Big Twelve championship as our, as our game because that's not on the schedule at least in ink um, yet. So, but I am going to stick again in a, in a conference with a lot of Texas teams. I am going to stick with an Oklahoma team as my second big game, and I and again think this is probably pretty common. This was big when it was the last game of the season on the original schedule. It's big now, two weeks after, um, or, or I guess three weeks technically, but two games after OU because there is a bye between OU and Baylor. But Oklahoma State, and on Halloween, um, in Stillwater, an Oklahoma State team that is rising has seen their apex kind of come right at the time when, when you know, this should be Senior Sam, this should be a Texas team that um, really looks... Both these teams want to make a statement that this is not just OU's conference, and this is both of their year to do it. Um, and so I think, you know, OU gets to sit in the king's seat right now. They've won multiple years in a row, so there's to lose. So who's going to step up, and who is fighting for that spot to play them in the Big 12 championship, assuming, you know, everything goes as OU fans hopes it does. So I put Oklahoma State, obviously, as my, my, my number two game. Redundancy here as well, I think. Uh, we talked about it with Phillip, like, probably night game. In Stillwater on Halloween, weird things happen on Halloween. I think the Oklahoma State offense isn't what scares me. I think their defense is going to be sneaky good this year. I think oh, every seven years, Oklahoma State has a top tier defense, and I think we're on year seven. And so that's that's the side of the ball that really like I I I honestly I think the Texas defense is going to have things in the right spot by the time they get to game five, right? I think the tech, especially along the line in the secondary. I, I'm fairly confident in the defense. And I think here here's what I'll say. If this if that thing turns into a shootout, I'm picking Sam every time. So I it's it's an important game. It's a scary game. Uh, but I have a sense of peace because if you if you give me Spencer Sanders and you give me Sam Ellinger yeah. in a game where one of them has to go on a two minute drive to win a game, I'm taking the guy who's done it four or five times already. Absolutely. And I'll just say this um, playing in Oklahoma State at night, I believe, um, was when we had a running back go into the wall and hurt himself. So I'm hoping that uh, there's nothing spooky or scary or stupid 
that comes with with playing, you know, in in Stillwater, Oklahoma, against an Oklahoma State team. Because, like you said, I think while a really good team, if you line them up, ten times out of ten, Texas should win at least six or seven uh, out of those ten just on talent uh, alone. So I, I I do feel good that we can win that. So I'm going to jump to our to mine, and I think this might be where we diverge. I don't know. Um, my third, and it, it is because obviously I have a, an incredible bias, but it, it's also traveling to a a not at home traveling out of austin to a small you know big 12 one one show town um like stillwater we're going to manhattan kansas now they basically kind of flipped now the last game of the season i mean depending what happens in these big games and other games up to it there could be a lot on the line. I mean, hopefully Texas is undefeated and it doesn't really matter um, as far as implications go by that point. But there could be a ton on the line for, for you know, Big 12 for potential postseason. Um, and, and Kansas State just loves, loves to play spoiler for Texas, loves to be the fly in the ointment. They just, you know, they have a, a coach who was setting up a program last year and did some scary things. You know, I, I don't think they're a perfect team. We, we talked in a preview. They have some holes to fill. I don't, you know, I don't think they're necessarily just plug and play. And, you know, they're, they're 100% better all over the field, but they're dangerous. And this will be their last game of the season, and they will have time to get everything figured out. Um, and Kansas State always feels like they're assembling the plane as they're flying. So the fact that we get them at the end is kind of a little worrying. Um, so to me, that's the third biggest game and the one that, that I'm the most... Uh, irrationally afraid of i think the one for me that that when we look at the three biggest games i think kansas state turns into a big game if a lot of things happen Uh, and i think mine mine has the same thing but i'm actually uh it's a home game and it's week nine or game nine iowa state is the one that worries me because i think if there's one i think if there's one other quarterback in the conference as it stands right now again you know spencer sanders and, and spencer rattler which again I don't know what it is with Oklahoma and the name Spencer, uh, but it's fine. Um, I think if there's one quarterback that I think has a has a shot in a in a in a shootout with Sam Ellinger, it's Brock Purdy. Now I think they've got some some talent to replace in some very key spots, but again, I think when you're looking at like the the top quarterbacks in the country, like Ellinger and Purdy are probably right like. The in that second tier of guys, like you've got, you've got Fields and you've got Mr. Longhair himself, Clemson's own Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, so you've got Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence as kind of your one and your one and two or your one and one a, uh, and then you've got like Ellinger and you've got Purdy in that second tier of guys. And so when you look at quarterback that I think could go in a shootout with 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 Sam Ellinger, Brock Purdy's a guy that I think has the tools to do it. Now he's got to stay healthy. He's Oh, for two right now on staying healthy. Yeah. So uh, it's possible. And getting them at the end of the year, he's probably he's potentially banged up. But also that offensive line that they don't really know what's going to happen with uh, could have gelled by that second to last game. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't sleep on Iowa State. I think there's a chance that they get funky and, and they really, you know, pass Oklahoma State as the third best team this year. I think there's also a chance that everything doesn't line up just perfectly and you're looking at a Brock Purdy led team with some deficiencies in other areas and Matt Campbell gets some date wins you know and it and they're a, a kind of solid new era Iowa State team but nothing um to to write epic poems about but I, I don't know I don't know what that team is going to be but Texas has handled Iowa State and, and even some really good Iowa State teams with some really good blows they've handled that well in the past few years um so I I, I like the chances 
there. But I, I agree. That's a tough end. That's a tough end of the season, especially if you get through a gauntlet of, you know, and always tough because it's Gary Patterson, TCU, OU, Baylor, Oklahoma State. You're feeling good, and then you got to close it out after West Virginia, Kansas. And there with, you know, you could be feeling good. You could be one loss. You could be, you know, wherever you're at there. And then you got to go Iowa State, Kansas State, and it could get real ugly real quick. Absolutely. So that's our offensive preview and our kind of schedule preview but Kyle's got something he wants to round out the show with. So this stat blew my mind, Gerald. I could not believe it. I was going to use it in, in the appropriate section in the position group, but it needed its own gravitas, um, its own standaloneness. Gerald, I'm going to blow your, your absolute mind with this statistic. I'm going to talk specifically just about wide receivers for a moment. I played wide receiver. Obviously, I have a bias. Gerald, if Sam Ellinger was listed as a wide receiver on the depth chart, how many receivers have caught more passes for the University of Texas on this wide receiver depth chart than Sam Ellinger? Three. Two. Ah. There are only two players with more than Sam's nine career receptions. Um, some of those are designed, you know, trickster plays. Some are when passes get batted down and he catches them because he is a hero. Um, but his nine career catches uh, puts him third in the receiver room. That's why we talk about upside and potential in that group because we don't know. I mean, again, I, I cheated because I definitely took Tariq Black out of it by saying at the University of Texas at Austin or you would have been right with three but still that is absolutely nuts to me yeah it's it's crazy so we'll I mean hopefully we'll find out that Texas is just crazy talented uh, in just a couple of weeks all right, Gerald, so we are going to go back to an old faithful here. We, we're we going to look at the world through burnt orange lenses. We haven't done this in a few weeks, but we do have a couple items I want to cover real quick, um, one of which being we, we talked about receivers and we talked about players at the University of Texas uh, last season. Colin Johnson, a man who's, who's blowing up South Florida social media, um, or maybe I guess East Florida social media, um, by just doing some things in the Jacksonville Jaguar camp he um he had i think not one not two but three posterizations of of starting cornerback trey herndon uh i felt bad like you know he was online bullying him because the 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 beat writer kept posting these pictures whether it was a one-handed catch over him or beating him um on routes just just looks good i mean i think colin johnson has secured himself some nfl minutes absolutely and we've talked about colin johnson uh, being a lot better than I think a lot of Texas fans give him credit for. So uh, let's just go ahead and uh, pencil that in for him being uh, being pretty solid in uh, in Jacksonville. Absolutely. Um, and beating a pretty good cornerback. I think Herndon started all of last year after Ramsey left and did, did pretty well. But um, another note that certainly affects the Longhorn Nation, um, but is not anything we report with glee or joy, um, I guess other than that, hopefully they caught something. But TCO sophomore quarterback Max Dugan is is out um, just indefinitely. They haven't listed a time to come back. Um, we we obviously you know that was an interesting game with Max Duggan coming back and what he can do next as he started um, most of, of the season last year and had his best game probably of the year was against Longhorns. We talked at length about it with Melissa Treblosser. But basically with a precautionary COVID-19 EKG revealed a pre-existing heart condition for him. Um, he, he said he's had the procedure for They didn't go into specifics and is in recovery. So um, 
I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know. Obviously, we're playing them early in the season. I think the likelihood of him playing at all this year, but especially against the Longhorns, is low. Um, but nonetheless, horns up, prayers up for for Max. Hopefully, get that figured out, and um, you know he he can have all the future success uh, that you know that he can muster. All football things aside, like I'm so glad that he caught this because it's scary that that type of stuff absolutely terrifies me. And so I'm glad that he caught it. And I'm glad this, this kid is getting healthy. He's still a kid. He's a what sophomore. So he's 20 years old. That's a kid. Um, so I'm glad he's getting healthy. I think for, for TCU, it sucks because I think thug and Duggan was about to take over. And I think he was actually going to be a really, really good quarterback this year. So it's tough to see them lose that, uh, that caliber of a player. And I'm interested to see, so Matthew Downing is, is a guy who, you know, was kind of an unheralded guy coming out of high school. He was um, he was a wa- he was like a preferred walk on, I think, at Georgia. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, and again, I'm usually not the guy that wants to see a team um, at their at full strength when they're playing Texas. But I think um, in a year that's already going to have enough asterisks on it, I don't want to add another one to it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. But also like. This is a crazy outlier, but it is because of COVID that they found it. I mean, that's kind of a good thing. But there's going to be there's going to be more stories of, of of just you know someone's going to catch it inevitably on one of the teams in the Big Twelve or something's going to happen. Someone's not going to play. We already looked at you know the OU running back who who isn't. I mean, there, there's going to be some large ripples, like you said, asterisks on asterisks on asterisks. I just like I said, let's beat TCU regardless of who the quarterback is. Let's wish goodwill for this this man in the future. But yeah, if that means we beat him by. 35 instead of 28 happy with it <laughs> absolutely all right so we'll finish it out this week with the godzilla tron i think the the south end zone is officially uh i believe finished from pictures from images but we do not have a name yet so we're still calling this segment where we watch things on the beautiful giant screen godzilla tron so gerald what are you watching on your big screen these days uh, so not a ton of watching, uh, this past weekend they did a, uh, an open beta for the Avengers video game and, uh, I hate to be the one to report it, but it kind of sucked. Um, I was, I did not enjoy it. Uh, it felt like a game that probably should have come out like 10 years ago where like, you know, Batman Arkham Asylum was a game that I think came out like 2009 ish. Don't quote me on that, but like it felt very much like that, except it had like multiple characters instead of just Batman. Uh, so I did not enjoy it. And thankfully I can just take that out of my budgeting for video games for this year. Uh, and then I started on, I, I was looking for a show that's, you know, you have those, I, I call them like sweatpants shows where you just need something that slip on and it's comfortable. And I noticed that Netflix has both avatar, the Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra. So I just decided to sit down and watch one of my favorite, probably, TV shows of the last 15 years or so. Uh, and, like, they're both so good, and it's really good animation, and it's just fun to watch. So I started to watch the the Avatar The Last Airbender, and, and uh, I'm kind of parallel watching it with The Legend of Korra, because I've seen the Avatar probably three or four times. Um, but, like, they're both so good. Like, they're, and they're not like kids' shows, right? They deal with things like xenophobia, and um, the dangers of teaching exceptionalism and the dangers of using, I don't want to call it racist language, but like using language that's exclusionary. And so it's like just really, really interesting. And, and the power of, you know, inclusion and the power of like being open to other perspectives and the dangers of uh, revenge and anger and, and those types of things. And so uh, I'm absolutely having a blast. I forgot how good those shows were, how poignant they were. And, and some of the lessons they're teaching in those shows are even more important in 2020. 
2020. I was just about to say, those don't seem incredibly poignant or relevant right now at all. Um, I love that that's your sweatpants, Gerald. You have a brain that people would kill for, you big, big, giant genius. Um, I had a sweat... They are cartoons, though, Kyle. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, it's all balancing out. Uh, I have a... I guess you call it a sweatpants show. I don't know, Gerald. You, you tell me. Um, I have a friend group, and, and it's a great friend group, and it goes back for years. And, and um, for years, Gerald included in that group, good friend of the pod, always listens, Mario, um, and, and Gerald's co-host from his other podcast, Raymond, have all talked about the show called New Girl. And uh, just it just I missed it at first, and I never got into it. And it's one of the few things in our very in group of in jokes that they joke about that I'm like, what what are they talking about? I don't get this, and I don't like that. And so I I, I was exclusionaried um, enough that I wanted to uh, be in on the jokes. Um, and even though my wife is doesn't seem to like adore Zoe Deschanel um, as much as the rest of America, I think. Um, so she was a bit reluctant, but she's seen the first two seasons even. So while um, while lounging about, we started the first season of New Girl, and I'll say it's pretty good. I, I'm I'm very excited to hear your your thoughts and opinions and takes. If it just you know the, you, you all rate it pretty highly, so if it just gets you know even better, um, but I'd say you know I think I'm like ten episodes in, um, and it's it's pretty 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 good. You see this happen in, in sitcoms, and sitcom's a weird word because, like, that doesn't really mean anything nowadays. But, like, in TV comedies where, like, they figure out the characters a season and a half in. And so, like, middle of season two, things take off. And so it's it's so good. It's really funny. Um, I, I was not, like, there's this weird thing that happens where... Uh, like the, the the show name of the show is New Girl, and like Zoe Deschanel is the one that like injects herself into this new friend group, so she's the new girl. And then they replace the black guy a couple episodes in, okay. And so she's no longer the new one. Um, yeah, and so we could talk about how Damon Wayans Jr. Le- uh, left his other uh, other sitcom called that's uh, Happy Endings. If you haven't watched Happy Endings, by the way, watch Happy Endings. That show is incredible, and he went back to do Happy Endings because it did get canceled. I I think. I got the shows confused, and I and when he just wasn't there, and they had a, a new guy, new black guy. I was like, "What's going on?" And at first, I thought it was like a one episode gag, like they were gonna show, like, "Hey, here he is back." It's different guy, but nope, they just they did kind of address it a little bit slightly, but it just that was the weirdest thing so far that I've seen. <laughs> so. Maybe if I could get past that and I put some distance between that happening and me by a season or two, I could really get into it a bit more. But uh, all the characters are likable, I'll say that, and, and that, that stands for something. You know, so far, um, I, I think I ride hardest for um, just how deplorable Schmidt is. Um, he, he's he's maybe the most entertaining of the bunch. The Nick Miller is, is looking to be a great character from what I've seen so far. So um, I like it. Gerald, I'm definitely willing to keep giving it some space and some time. Didn't expect this to be our next show. Um, it, it kind of snuck in there um, a, a bit like the new black guy and new girl. So um, <laughs> we'll report back at a later date. Yeah, it's it's a show that gets better. And if you, have you seen Happy Endings, Kyle? Have you talked about this? No, I haven't. I have not. That, that's another one where like the first couple of episodes are weird, and then they figure out the characters. You're like, oh, this show is hilarious. And one of the things I really love about it is that 
the married couple is an interracial couple and they don't use it as it's not like a prop where it's like, hey, look, we're so progressive. Right. It's an interracial couple. But they do make jokes that like my wife and I make. And so it's really quite funny. So that's another one. Like, I'm going to go back and watch Happy Endings. I absolutely love that show. Uh, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer on Twitter at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. We're talking DC Fandom. That new Batman trailer was real, real good. Looks like if uh, if they made it like an independent spirit type Batman movie. Looks real, real good. But that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, hook up. Hook up. Carol, I'll never remember.